plenty of options to kind of dig in if you like. Uh, I do have a question that I put in here. Uh, we kind of took a pause for the holidays on the movie nights, so, so actually I have uh, two questions, that one plus one that came up yesterday morning. Uh, one is, are, are you ready to start movie nights back up? And the second is, is who, would, who might be interested in a Super Bowl party? So how many of you would be interested in movie nights getting started again? So we okay. So it looks like a good for movie nights. How many would be interested in a Super Bowl party? All right. So we have a couple. Yeah. What are the Bears playing? Uh, so now what? Uh, we we have done Super Bowl parties in the past, but that was when we actually had a package. Uh, would anybody be interested in hosting the Super Bowl party? Uh, you can think about that because that's the one thing I don't know is uh, if if we can get it cast up here or if we would need to have somebody else host. So that's something you could think about. Looks like there would be interest if we can figure it out. So, all right, we'll go from there. All right, now that we got all that important stuff out of the way, let's get to the really important stuff. And let's uh, let's pray and go to the Lord and worship. Oh, glorious Father, we just give you thanks uh, for... Uh, this opportunity that we have to come into your presence, to give praise, to, to worship, to recognize you and all your faithfulness, uh, to just pause from uh, the midst of the world around us and all that's going on in the headlines to, uh, to reaffirm and to just uh, stand in the faith that we hold and to recognize that you are sovereign, that you are good, uh, and that you are working uh, in ways that uh, are both seen and unseen in the world around us and in our lives. And so we just... We come before you uh, thankful for your faithfulness and your goodness and your grace. And we just pray that as we uh, enter into this time that you would minister to our, our hearts even as we come before you in worship, that we would hear your voice uh, clearly uh, and that we would be encouraged to, to live out the faith as we walk out these doors. And so we just come before you in the name of Jesus who's taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Um, interesting. Um, Psalm 8 is where I'm starting this morning. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Because of your adversaries, you have established a stronghold from the mouths of children and nursing infants to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is man that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. Yahweh our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. We start off this morning uh, with a couple of old hymns. We're going to start with Holy, Holy, Holy. Please stand as you are able and join us in song. Holy, holy, holy. 
continue on with a lovely old favorite Fanny Crosby wrote to God be the glory and we do continue to lift up his name in his holiness knowing that he is more than enough for us so we continue on with enough
seated. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through verse 16. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethesda. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears, you hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. And may God bless Pastor Dan's message. Who knows how long it'll go if we take the message with you. It's the only thing that keeps me on track, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Richard Gribble provides, uh, it's kind of a creative call to action, so he does, he does a play on, on names and, and words. So uh, I thought it was kind of creative as we uh, start our, our message today. And he says, and I quote, uh, Fred, everybody, Thomas, somebody, Peter, anybody, and Joe, nobody were neighbors. But not the type that most would want to know. They were odd people, troublesome and difficult to understand. The way they lived their lives was a shame. These men all went to the same church, but most would not have wanted them as parishioners. Everybody went fishing on Sundays and stayed home or stayed home and spoke with his friends. 
Anybody wanted to worship, but he was afraid that somebody would speak to him. Thus, guess who went to church? That's right, nobody. Actually, nobody was the only decent one of the lot. Nobody did the parish census. Nobody joined the parish council. One day, there was a call in the bulletin for people to apply for a position as a teacher in the religious education program. Well, everybody thought anybody would apply. Anybody thought somebody would apply. So guess who applied? You're right. My friends, let's not be an everybody, somebody or anybody. Rather, let us strive to be a nobody. <laughs> In such a way, we empty ourselves so we can be filled with the amazing power of Christ who died to set us free and thus will always be our brother, friend, and Lord, end quote. I thought that's kind of an interesting phrase, right? Strive to be a nobody. Now, that's kind of a, a hard message to sell when everybody wants to be a somebody and not just an anybody. But God can use anybody who is willing to be a nobody for his glory. You know, as we look at our, our text today in our chronological study uh, that's been going on for, you know, a, a day or two, uh, Luke introduces us to 72 others. Now, who they are is of no importance, right? In fact, their names aren't even given for us. Uh, they're not named for us. They're not in the other Gospels. The other Gospels don't mention the sending of the 72. Uh, what mattered was not who they were. What mattered was not what their names were. What mattered was their response to Jesus and their desire to make the name of Jesus known. Right? That's what mattered was their desire to make the name of Jesus known. Now, now this text is unique to Luke. Uh, so we don't have harmonization with Matthew or Mark today or, or John. And we're likely, uh, you know, just to give you a heads up, we'll be camped out in Luke 10 probably three uh, or four weeks. And I, I kind of like Wearsby's overarching theme uh, for the chapter as a whole. He says, and I quote, uh, To begin with, we are God, uh, the Lord's ambassadors. We're sent to represent him in this world. So that's verses 1 through 24. We're breaking that up into a couple of weeks. Uh, we're also his neighbors, looking for opportunities to show mercy in the name of Christ. That would be the parable of the Good Samaritan in 25 through 37. But at the heart of all of our ministry is devotion to Christ. So we must be worshipers who take time to listen to his word and commune with him. That would be verses 38 through 42. Now, whether we're in the harvest field or whether we're on the highway, such as the Good Samaritan, or whether we're in the home, such as the final verses, our highest privilege and our greatest joy is to do the will of God. And as we kind of uh, walk our way through uh, this chapter, one of the things that I do want us to see is that our work doesn't replace our worship, right? But our worship should motivate our work. Our worship should motivate our labor for the one who has called us to follow him. And as we, as we begin digging into this text, keep in mind... Uh, uh, one of the things we're looking at with the sending of the 72 is a temporary mission directed to the 72. This is not the long-term mission of the church. Now, while the mission remains the same, right? So I'm not saying the mission has changed. Pro, uh, it's still proclaiming the kingdom, making known the name of Jesus. The dynamics of how the mission is carried out, they will change. So for instance, by the time we get to Luke 22, verses 35 through 38, uh, you know, maybe by the year 2025, right, the, the rate we're going. By the time we get to Luke 22, we're going to see that Jesus will reverse some of these instructions to adjust from the time-sensitive work prior to his crucifixion 
to the long-term mission following his resurrection until his return, uh, whenever that might be. Now, I, I say this because here we see uh, carry no money bag, right? When we get to Luke 22, he'll say, take a money bag. Because we're changing from short-term, urgent, uh, get out there and get this done to, hey, there's, there's a long-term mission that's ahead, and the preparations for that is, is different. Uh, so I, I want to point that out so that we, when we get to later, you're not saying, well, that's a contradiction. It's a different time. The mission's the same, but the dynamics of how it's carried out change. Uh, but what remains the same in both cases is he carries out his work through his people. Think about the amazing marvel, uh, marvel of that truth. He carries out his work largely through his people. You know, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to work through us to deliver his gospel message. And what we see is that Jesus extends his ministry through those who answer his call, right? So you don't need to be a somebody to serve him, just an anybody that's available to him. So verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now, now as we read the, the words after this, they establish a contrast with the would-be disciples from chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Right, so that's where we dwelt on last week, where we have three would-be disciples who have all sorts of excuses. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you when it's convenient. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you when the, task, when the uh, cost isn't too high. Well, Jesus, I'll follow you when it works onto my calendar, my timeline, whatever the case may be. And Jesus said, following me doesn't work that way. So here we have a contrast to the would-be disciples from, from last week in chapter 9 whose excuses disqualified them. Now, it says the Lord appointed 72 others. Uh, the word appointed means the Lord assigns them this duty. He gives them this responsibility. He commissions them, right? So he's commissioning 72 to go. Now, in other words, uh, you know, if I want to follow Jesus, I don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I, I want to follow you. Here's my conditions. Jesus, I want to follow you. Here's what I'm willing to do. Jesus, I want to follow you, but only if it doesn't, uh, you know, if it doesn't get to the bottom of my pocketbook, right? Uh, we don't come to Jesus with our terms for following. Because if we're coming to Jesus with our terms for following, guess who we're not following? We're not following Jesus. We're telling Jesus what we're willing to do. What we see with the 72, right, is we follow the terms that Jesus gives to us. Now, as I pointed out last week, you know, to follow means whenever and wherever he leads, he go, we go, right? Now, this week, we might add whatever his assignment is, we undertake. Now, this is important because, you know, uh, Jesus doesn't all call us all in the same way, right? Jesus is sending a, a specific number of people for this task, right? He's not sending all of those who follow him for this task. Right, in the same way that when Jesus came to the fishermen on the boat and, and he called some to follow him, right? Some of them stayed with the boats, right? So he doesn't call us all in the same way. You know, if you think about it, um, you know, some are called to handle the technology so that you have this nice little screen up here. You know, some are called to handle the sound so that you can actually hear what I'm saying. Now, some of you might think, I'm not sure it's worth hearing, and that's another story for another time, right? You know, if you think about, 
you know, the importance of uh, somebody to, to greet people or whatever, right? He doesn't call us all in the same way, but we're all part of the same mission. Uh, so if you think about like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who power, empowers them all and everyone, right? Whenever, wherever, whatever. How is he calling you? Now, our place is not to concern ourselves with how Jesus might lead another. You remember when uh, Jesus is telling uh, Peter and he's giving some, Peter some, well, rather not good news, right? And, and Peter looks over at John and he says, oh, yeah, but what about this guy? Anybody remember how Jesus responded to him? What about him? What's that to you? That's not your concern, right? Your concern is that you follow me, that you follow me. Because my plan for John might be different than my plan for Peter. What's important is that you follow me and that you answer my call. Now, in this particular instance, we have 72 others uh, where, now, we're not harmonizing with other Gospels because it's unique to Luke, but some of you might have a translation that says 70 rather than 72. Now, if you have a, a study Bible... Uh, or maybe even if it's not studied by, it should be footnoted to say some manuscripts have 70, some manuscripts have 72. So we'll just, you know, here, here's the harmonization of the 70 or the 72. Uh, the manuscripts differ. And there's a slight edge from what I read toward the 72, but not enough to be definitive. So your good Bibles are going to say, 70 or 72 and be footnoted that there's the other possibility that's out there and and you know uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that but many many suggest that the number is the parallel the nations from genesis 10 right so you go back to genesis 10 you have the table of nations and they say that the number is symbolic of uh to to uh, fit with the table of nations from genesis 10 and so it foreshadows the inclusion of the gentiles and that's probably, you'll probably find that in quite a few commentaries, scholars and stuff. That it foreshadows the inclusion of the, of the, of the Gentiles. Uh, now, others will argue that, well, maybe, maybe not. Because this particular 72 aren't being sent to the Gentiles. That'll come later. This particular 70 or 72 are being sent to the towns of Israel. And so they say, rather than paralleling the 70 or 72 table of nations from Genesis 10, perhaps it's paralleling the elders that were selected to help Moses in ruling and, de and, and delegating and ruling over the people. Uh, and so in this case, what you would see would be Jesus is portraying himself as the second Moses who will lead the second Exodus. Now, here's what Dan's going to say about both of those ideas. Both of those ideas are present in Scripture elsewhere, so it doesn't matter if you derive it from here, okay? Uh, because both of those are biblically true. Uh, but the big picture that we see from this particular passage, uh, whether or not there's a symbolic connection or not with uh, the table of nations or the elders, is that the mission is not limited to the 12, but it extends through others as well. Now, why am I saying others? I could be really brave and say, hey, can any of you name the 12 disciples? And some of you might be like, well, I can name a few or a handful or if I could get through most of them, right? Or, 
you, or you would be like, well, I could at least find the verse that has the, the 12 mentioned in them. Because what? We have names for the 12. You know what we don't have for the 72? Because it's not about who they are. It's about how they're responding to Jesus and what they're doing. You know, Jesus is extending uh, his ministry, you know, and, and we obviously see, you know, people like the 12. But, you know, Jesus extends his ministry through anybody who's available to him to use however he calls and sees fit. Whether your name is known or whether your name is unknown. And uh, 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 now others... Uh, we see here he sends them out two by two to prepare for Jesus' arrival. And uh, R.C. Sproul uh, wrote, He sent them two by two, perhaps for mutual support or safety, uh, or perhaps to fulfill the Old Testament principle that a witness's testimony is confirmed by the report of another witness. Right, so we see this picture. He's going to send them out two by two. And there could be various reasons, right? It is, it is encouraging. It is nice not to be solo, right? There's protection and numbers and so on and so forth. But there's another principle that also emerges with the sending of two. And, and, and that fits with the uh, biblical witness of the Old Testament. How many witnesses were required? Two. Or three, right? You couldn't validate on one witness. Now, this is going to be significant as we get to the end with how the people respond. The people either accept or they reject. Your peace will come upon them or there will be judgment, right? More bearable than... So this is the importance of also two witnesses, right? Because there's two witnesses to how they respond to the message of the kingdom that's coming to them. Uh, so... Uh, as you come to the end in verse 16, he says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Well, by sending them in pairs of two, there's at least two witnesses to whether they've accepted or rejected the message. But anybody who responds to his call, they enter into his mission. So verse 2, he says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, the harvest imagery uh, is at times used to speak of eschatological judgment. And some of you are saying eschatological what, right? Eschatological means the last times, the end times, right? Last days. Uh, and it is used that way in like Matthew 13 and other places where it speaks of the end time where... Jesus gathers up his people and he, and, and the, uh, well, he gathers up the, the tares and the wheat, right? So you see this picture of eschatological judgment, but here that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the present season. It's the time of harvest. And there's an urgent nature to the task, right? As well as the need for workers for the task. Uh, you know, as any farmer can tell you, when the harvest season is upon you, do you get out of bed, Garth? Yeah, you got to go. Now, this is going to be unfair. Do I do it? Do you skip church sometimes during harvest? Yeah, yeah. You know, he could have at least hesitated a little bit on that, couldn't he? Because you, you know you have a window of time, right? You have prayed in the combine. There, there's a farmer down at, at Panera. He comes down, he goes, he says, well, have I ever told you? I'm like, yeah, a hundred times by this point. He goes, his, his preacher came up to him and gets after him for not being in church. And he says, well, I could be in church thinking about being in the field or in the field thinking about being in church. 
<laughs> right? But the point is, is we have the season, right? And there's a window of time for the season. And Jesus is saying there's an urgency because we're in this window of time. He says it is the time of harvest, and there's an urgency to be in uh, and the harvest. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are people who are ready to receive the message. That's basically what he's using with the harvest imagery. But he says, but there are few to take the message to the people. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And, you know, when you think about it, Christianity has, a, has job security, doesn't it? Now, we can talk about eternal security. That's another question, right? But uh, Christianity has job security. Until Jesus returns, there's enough work for everybody. And there will always be work available to anybody who's willing to labor. And that's the mission we have, isn't it? Go forth and make disciples of all the nations. He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Now, that implies that the labor is not going to be limited to the 72, but out of the harvest are going to come new laborers, new people willing to enter into the call. Now, laborers will at times be subject to discouragement. Have you ever been in a place where there's way too much work to do and too few hands to do it? That's discouraging, isn't it? There's discouragement, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But not only is there discouragement, there's also danger. So verse 3 continues. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, R.C. Sproul writes that the statement by Jesus may give an indication as to why the laborers are few. Because wolves, of course, were the natural enemies to defenseless lambs. And, and this is actually, a, you know, we'll talk about figures of speech and idioms and different things like that. Well, this was a, a Jewish metaphor for saying, hey, you're walking into a dangerous situation. Opposition that you face is going to be real. Rejection is going to be real. Persecution is going to be real. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He says, let's be real. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. But they're not completely defenseless, are they? Remember, we're doing a chronological study. And it's not been that long ago. I could have counted the weeks for you, but it's not been that long ago that Jesus is on the scene and he says, I am the good shepherd I'm the good shepherd and so they're not to retreat from the world even though there's dangers in the world but they're to go into it trusting the protection and the provision of their shepherd now this in particular here we're focused on the provision part as we look at the instructions that he gives to them right as we look at John 10 it was more about the uh, uh, well, it was about protection and provision. Here he highlights more the provision aspect. But he says, be prepared because opposition and rejection are, are going to be real. But likewise, you're not alone. And this is the impetus that carries us into verse 4, where he says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Now, when he says, carry no money bag, uh, Edwards writes, uh, ancient travelers often bound money in the outer garment under their belt. But the Greek word for purse which occurs in the New Testament only in Luke, and this chapter as well as later in chapter 22 and, and chapter 12. 
It refers to an actual money bag or purse. So the first prohibition thus may not forbid taking uh, money for essentials, but it clearly forbids taking extra or excess money. Because who are they reliant on? They're reliant on God to provide. So he's not saying, you know, you know, not to pack whatever's in your belt, right? But don't take an extra purse. Don't pack heavy, right? No knapsack kind of continues that theme. The knapsack would be a traveling bag for packing some clothes and some provisions along the way because who are they going to be reliant on? They're going to be reliant on God. Now, when he says uh, no sandals, most, uh, most scholars, uh, at least the ones that I read, uh, don't think that refers to the sandals on their feet but to an extra pair. Any of you ladies have more than one pair of shoes in your closet? Any of you guys have more than one pair of shoes in your closets, right? Right, the, the idea, uh, when you travel, do you take an extra pair just in case one pair gets wet? Right, so he, he, he's, he's basically focused on don't be taking extra provisions. Uh, greet no one on the road. Now, this is, a, this is an example of where it's important to know the culture. Because Jesus, when he says, greet no one on the road, he's not saying be, be snobby, be rude, you know, thumb up your nose. Uh, the custom at the time was when you would greet, run into people on the road, there was kind of this ceremonial, customary, lengthy greeting where we're kind of socializing and we're getting to know one another. We're small talking it up, right? Uh, that's what he's talking about. Uh, so he's not talking about, you know, don't say hi. He's saying, don't get caught up in all this ceremonial, hey, how's the weather today? Isn't the weather beautiful? Boy, I just can't wait to it warms up another, you know, 50 degrees. That would be really nice. And, you know, the sun hasn't shone for the last week. And wouldn't you like to see some sunlight? Boy, boy, I'm sure glad that that uh, snow melted. You see what I'm saying, right? It's not just about a greeting on the road. It's about getting into conversation, and spending a lengthy amount of time together in conversation. Uh, and we kind of see this as we go into the next verse where we see what's the very thing they're doing. They're giving a greeting. A greeting to the house that they're coming to. So verse 5. Uh, when, uh, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. Now the point that Jesus is making in these verses is pack light so you can move fast because time is of the essence because it's the time for harvest. Now, there's not much more time before Jesus will be betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And he's seeking to pack as much ministry into that short time that is left as he can. And so basically what he's saying is, you know what, you don't have time to sit around and talk about the weather. Or maybe, I don't know, do you think they complained about the weather like people do today? I don't know, right? You don't have time to, to talk about or complain about the weather because the kingdom of God has come near. Verses 9 and 11. And the kingdom of God coming near means either peace, verses 5 and 6, or judgment, verses 11 through 16. What's the difference between the two? How you respond. You can accept or you can reject. The difference is how you respond. Now, as he goes through the text, right, you see hospitality indicates that they've received the message by receiving the messenger, resulting in peace. And it presents 
uh, the hospitality received as the wages they've earned for bringing the gospel, right? Because they're depending on God supplying for their needs as they go out on this mission, right? They're to pack light so they can move fast, and they're to trust that God is going to provide on, on the way in this particular case. Remember, this is the short-term mission. This is not necessarily how the long-term is going to shape up later. When he says, give peace to this house, that's a prayer of blessing for wholeness. Uh, and in this particular case, it points to the uh, messianic kingdom, right, which could be received or rejected, as the text makes clear. And so he says, if a son of peace is there, then your peace will remain. Now, it's possible that a son of peace could reflect somebody who's already a believer, in which case they're being encouraged, they're being strengthened in the faith they hold, they're giving like a, a base of operations for while they're in that area to spread the, the message of the kingdom. So there's possibility with that, but it's not the only possibility. The other possibility is it's being used to refer to somebody who's open to the message, who's receiving the message, who becomes a believer because they're accepting the message, right? And so they're giving a base of operations for them to minister while they're in, in the area. And, and so he says, if a son of peace is there, right, don't go around from house to house, set up base camp, right? And they're to remain in that house and not go from house to house because it's about the message and not the comfort of the messenger. Let me put it differently. All right, so I come into... I come into town, uh, well, we'll see. I, I come out to Colfax, and, you know, I'm going to set up a base of operations in Colfax for a little bit, and, you know, I, uh, I go, uh, and Rick puts me up for a couple days while I'm preaching the gospel and stuff, and, and then I find out that, uh, maybe I should have done this the other way around, uh, but I find out, you know, you know, Rick and Laura, they make a darn good apple pie. You know, they got better pie over Rick and Laura's than Rick does. Oh, <laughs> I picked two Ricks. <laughs> you know, I should have thought this out before I started talking about it, right? Rick W. and Rick A., right? So, well, I'm going to go over here now because they got better apple pie. Apple pie alsops. There, that works, right? <laughs> right? But the idea is don't, go, don't be looking for a better accommodations, Right? When you come in and somebody's received you, receive what they have. Don't be looking to better your circumstances. Don't be taking advantage of the hospitality. Don't be looking for who's got the better pie or who's got the, the softer mattress, right? He says, remain in the house. Don't go from house to house, right? Because you don't have time to mess with all those things. You don't have time to be thinking about what's what's better to improve my status. You're there for a purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim the message, not for seeking who serves you a better dinner. So they were to receive hospitality, right, which he says is the laborer's wages, right? He says, this is how God is going to supply for you is through the hospitality of the places that you come. But they're not to take advantage of it. Don't move from house to house. Now, the other aspect that you see that becomes apparent, and it's true th through the scripture as well, is that spiritual blessing is followed by material provision. Right? The hospitality is the material provision for the blessing that they're bringing with the gospel message. And we are to materially provide for where we're spiritually blessed. That's what we see taking place here. They will, they will provide for you. He says, eat what is set before you. Now, uh, that, that means be content with what you get, right? Y'all know the, uh, 
the uh, kindergarten model, right? What is it, Amanda? Get what you get and don't throw a fit. That's what Jesus says to the disciples. Now, some say that uh, uh, this implies, you know, when they go out, you know, whether the food's kosher or not, don't worry about that. Uh, however, in this particular case, they're going to the houses in Israel, so that's probably not the issue. It's probably more just don't be picky about what they're serving you. You know, you get what you get. Just be thankful for the provision that's given and, and do what you're called to do. So, so you don't need to be a somebody but an anybody who's willing to be a nobody because you realize that the mission is about the kingdom and it's not about you. Now, rejection, when they rejected, it meant the withdrawal of the offer of peace, right? The offer, uh, made a proclam uh, the offer that's made in the proclamation is an offer that can be rejected, right? It can be forfeited through rejection. And so they come not only proclaiming that the kingdom had come near, but they're also giving evidence for the fact that the kingdom has come near. So you come to verse 9, and it talks about healing the sick. Uh, now, the Greek word, according to Edwards, uh, might be uh, too specific in our translation, right? Because the Greek word denotes serving as well as healing. So it's more... It's broader than just healing, right? So, so they're offering their services, whether that's through you know, X, Y, or Z, or miraculously healing the sick. So healing the sick is part of it, but it's not the limitation of it. And Ryling comments that the present tense uh, indicates that this is a present reality, right? So they're healing the sick. Now, now we know that this isn't telling us everything that's taking place. And how do we know that? Because of verse 17, which David didn't read. Shame on you, David. Of course, I didn't give you that verse to read, right? Because we're going to pick that up next week. But in verse 17, they come back and they say, even the demons listen, right? Uh, so we see that ju uh, just because it says in verse 9, heal the sick and other services, right? This would fall under the other services. Demons are also being obedient as they proclaim the kingdom. Uh, so the point is, is they're giving evidence that the kingdom is near through what they're doing. It's not just about coming and saying, hey, the kingdom's here, and not giving any evidence to support their claim. Now, if people accepted, the me uh, accepted it, what was the message? The kingdom of God has come near to you. If people rejected it, what was the message? The kingdom of God has come near to you. You notice what doesn't change? The message. We can't change the message based on what kind of reception we receive. We are responsible for the message, not the response. And they're not to adjust the message in order to get the acclaim of the people. So they can't change the truth to get a better response from the people, right? It, it wasn't about, hey, what's culturally or politically correct? It was about God's truth and delivering God's truth. And the message that they were coming with was, Hey, God's blessing is here and it's available if you'll accept it. But you can also reject the grace that is being offered to you in the kingdom. And the message brings people to a crossroads because there's a point of decision. You can accept Jesus or you can reject Jesus. What you cannot be is neutral toward Jesus. 
So just as there are blessings for receiving the message, there are consequences for rejecting it. He picks up in verses 10 and 11. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, right? See, this is the other side. We had the son of peace. Now we're going to, to the other side. Uh, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, right, because the message doesn't change, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, wiping off the dust of the feet, that was a sign of protest. It was a warning of judgment. Uh, now, now, something important for us to recognize is they're leaving judgment in the hands of God. Right? It's not their place to judge. They're just giving a sign and a warning. Right? Judgment is going to be left in the hands of God, not, not on the people of God. So they're leaving judgment in the hands of God, not taking it in their own hands. Now Mark Moore uh, writes, if they are rejected, rather than blessing the village, they shake the dust from their feet. And he points out, as other scholars do, that uh, the shaking off of the, uh, when a Jew came out of Gentile territory back into Jewish territory, you know what they did? Shook off the dust from their feet because they're coming out of pagan lands. It's a sign of, of being you know, rid of the defilement of the pagan lands, right? Uh, and basically what he's saying here is through this symbolic gesture, they're declaring that by rejecting the message, you're choosing to place yourself outside of God's people. By rejecting the Messiah, you're choosing to put yourself outside of God's people. And that choices have consequences. And those consequences of your choices are on you, not upon us. So verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Now, Sodom, along with uh, Gomorrah, were indicative and used to illustrate divine judgment. And we kind of, I think most of us are aware of the Old Testament passages. He says, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom because judgment is proportional to your knowledge and your opportunity. And he says, Sodom didn't have the same opportunity that you have. Sodom didn't have the same privileges that you have. Sodom didn't have the same knowledge that you have. So even though Sodom was divinely judged, it'll be more bearable for them because they did not have the same knowledge and opportunity and privilege. Now, uh, sometimes people will ask the question, and, and maybe you've asked this question, uh, what, about Jesus, uh, what about people who have never heard about Jesus? What about people who have never heard about Jesus? And here's, actually I did a whole sermon on that. Um, so if you have more interest, uh, it's either on, that might be on our Vimeo. I'm not sure. Amanda's always told me, hey, if you're going to refer to a, a past sermon, you should tell me in advance so I can put the link online. <laughs> Here's your advance notice. <laughs> <laughs> what about those who never heard about Jesus? Whatever their judgment may look like, it will be more bearable than those who have, than those who have heard and have rejected him. What we do know is that God's judgment will be just and it will be right. The real question is not about those who haven't heard, but how do you respond who have? So verses 13 and 14 continue. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, remember, this is about opportunity and knowledge. If the mighty works had been done in, uh, in, that have been done in you were done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. 
but it will be more bearable. There we see that phrase again. And the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. You know, if the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in them, they would have repented. You know who has the ability to take into account the privilege that you had, the opportunities that you had, the knowledge that you had, the motivations that you had, what you would have done if, why, you know what? You know who can take all that into consideration? God. The question is not about what those who haven't heard, how they, you know, what awaits them. The question is, what about those of us who have heard? How are we responding and leaving judgment in the hands of, of God who knows how to judge rightly and justly? For here, what we see is they have had a front row seat to Jesus and his ministry, and yet many chose to reject him. You know, claiming to be God's people will not preserve us in the judgment. Being God's people will. Well, how do we be God's people? Well, we come in God's way. In John 1, 11 and 12, Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, something that's important for us to recognize these days is simply claiming to be something doesn't make it so. And I'm just going to leave that with that. <laughs> but simply claiming to be something doesn't make it so. If we're going to come to God, we have to come to God on God's terms, not, not our own. Now, I want you to not miss what's also implied in the text. Because it says, if the miracles had been, if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. And here's the beauty that we have in the gospel message. Here's the beauty that we have in grace. Is that none are so bad as to be beyond God's grace in the gospel. You know, when he says, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. Do you notice there's no qualifications? As you look through the scriptures in the New Testament, guess who did receive them? Murderers, tax collectors, prostitutes, even religious people. You know, some, right? There are none so bad as to be beyond God's grace, but neither are there any so good that they're beyond the need for his grace. Verse 15 continues, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. You know, Jesus spent more time in Capernaum than anywhere else in Galilee. That's where he established home base of operations. Yet despite all that Jesus did there, they had rejected him. And he, here's the consequences, verse 16. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. To reject the message was to reject the one who sent it, and to reject Jesus is to reject the Father. You know, there are too many that are about making a name for themselves rather than promoting the name of Jesus. And so Luke introduces us to 72 uh, unnamed disciples who are not concerned about being a somebody, but going to everybody whom Jesus might send them to 
that anybody who would may receive the blessings of the kingdom being offered through faith in Jesus. And he continues to this day to extend his mission through those who are willing to enter into it. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Will you be among the laborers in answer to his call? In your bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God might be uh, speaking to your heart this morning. And uh, we invite you to throw that in the uh, uh, offering baskets as part of your worship, because uh, worship is not just about the songs we sing on a Sunday morning. It's about the life that we live for his glory uh, throughout the week as well. As we uh, prepare ourselves for uh, communion and for stewardship, uh, the instructions to the 72, they convey the urgency of uh, their mission, but also their need to rely on God and to trust in God's provision. Uh, Each week as we prepare ourselves uh, to come to communion, we come face to face with whether or not we will rely on God and trust in his provision. Uh, The provision that has been made for our salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, salvation is not something that we could earn or merit. It's not achievable through our works or our efforts, but it has been freely offered by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And it is upon us whether we accept or reject God's provision in Jesus. So from those who accept, we're called to enter into his mission that more may know the blessing and peace offered in the gospel as we labor in his harvest and as we make his name known. So as we prepare ourselves, I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. O most gracious and loving Father, as we come to this table, perhaps there's nowhere that we're more reminded that it really isn't about us. It is about you and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just pray that as we come to this table that we would recognize the peace and the blessings and the promises that have all been given and offered through Christ, that we might receive them accordingly and that we might respond to them accordingly and that we would just come to this table thankful for the gift that we've been given and mindful of how we can go forth to proclaim his name and to make his name known. For it is in Jesus' name that we come. We have an open table for all who believe Jesus is their Lord and Savior. We invite you to to come and receive the gift that he's given. Uh, And if for whatever reason you feel like you can't partake, you're, you're welcome to come forward and cross your arms and receive a blessing.
have a new song that we want to teach you today. Um, Hannah and I and the worship team, Turbans, we've been working on this here and there, and, and I think it's time. It has a wonderful gospel message. Um, the title is Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death, and we invite you to stand and sing with us.
you know, the mission may look different today. I have a feeling none of the 72 used the Internet or Facebook or YouTube or Zoom, right? The mission may look different, but it's the same mission. Proclaiming the name and preparing the way for Jesus that others might also have the opportunity to embrace him. The need is great, but the laborers are few. So go forth as laborers in his harvest as you seek to follow him. Amen.